Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Griffin Strom, who is back from his second vacation of the summer. And we're also joined by our recruiting analyst, Garrick Hodge, because this has been a huge week for Ohio State recruiting, specifically Ohio State wide receiver recruiting, because on Monday, Ohio State landed a commitment from Carnell Tate, five-star wide receiver. On Tuesday, Ohio State landed a commitment from Brandon Innes, another five-star wide receiver. So in the span of two days, Ohio State landed the number two receiver per the composite rankings in the class in Innes and the number three receiver in the class in Carnell Tate. And this just adds to what has been an absolutely incredible recruiting run for Brian Hartline in his tenure at Ohio State. I mean, if we just roll through it really quick, 2019, his his first class that he signs, obviously Zach Smith had a hand in that class as well, but Brian Hartline was the coach by the time that class was signed. They signed Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams, two receivers who just went in the top 12 picks of the NFL draft. 2020, he lands four top 100 receivers, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott Jr., Mookie Cooper. Obviously, we've seen what Jackson Smith and Jigba has done. 2021, he lands three more top 100 receivers, Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka are already showing flashes of becoming superstars at Ohio State, and Jaden Ballard drew a lot of praise this spring. Then this past recruiting cycle, he brings in four more receivers who are all ranked in the top 151 in their class, those being Keon Grays, Caleb Brown, Caleb Burton, and Kojo Antwi. And now, for the class of 2023, he's landed Carnell Tate, he's landed Brandon Innes, He's landed Bryson Rogers, a guy who's not quite as highly ranked as those other guys we talked about, but who we know has been one of Ohio State's top receiver targets all along and who a lot of people believe is very underrated. And there's talk that as we record this on Tuesday night, I mean, if you just kind of read the tea leaves on Twitter, I won't be surprised if at some point in the very near future, Ohio State lands a commitment from Noah Rogers, And that's not ruining his moment or anything. I don't have any inside info on that. That's just reading the tea leaves on Twitter that it certainly sounds like Ohio State is expecting another commitment from another wide receiver and the logical candidate would be Noah Rogers. So you just look at what Brian Hartline is doing in wide receiver recruiting right now. I mean, it's unprecedented. We, we've never, if you just look through the whole composite rankings era, there's never been a school that has this consistently recruited the top receivers in the country year after year. And this class, the way it's shaped up right now, might be as impressive as any of them. Wow, Dan, way to ruin Noah Rogers' moment. Unbelievable. <laughs> How will you ever live with yourself? But no, that was a, an excellent summation of Brian Hartline's wizardry. I mean, it's about time he finally lands a high-profile guy, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> All kidding aside, you know, within 25 hours, Ohio State has landed its top two targets at wide receiver in the 2023 class by far. I mean, you could make a reasonable argument whether their top preference is Carnell or Brandon, but the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. They got them both. Right. 
and those are their one-two punch by far. And very close third is Noah Rogers. And for all we know, he could be in the class by the end of the day on Wednesday. So, and Bryson Rogers, well, you know, he, he went from a three-star to a four-star. So his rankings have kind of bumped back up. But I also think that his overall prospect ranking is going to go up too because of his recent performance at the seven on seven tournament in Las Vegas recently. A lot of national recruiting rankings experts were just lauding how good he looked at, you know, playing on the outside, those snaps at wide out. But it's, I, I agree with you. I think that this is unprecedented. Brian Hartline is basically a playground team captain with four straight picks of who he wants at wide receiver and just landing them. It's, it's unprecedented. Now, if you know, they convert Noah Rogers, they will have double the amount of top 100 wide receivers over the past five recruiting cycles as the next closest school. And that's Alabama with seven. So Ohio state would have 14 if they end up converting Noah Rogers before all said and done in 2023. I think it's just remarkable. And Brian Hartline's raise that he got in the offseason was very well-deserved with his promotion to passing game coordinator. Yeah, there is no doubt about that. And it's it's always fun, you know, covering recruiting. There's always twists and turns. And I think, you know, Carnell Tate is certainly an example of that. You know, I know, Griffin, when we were out at camp on Tuesday, you made the comment of when you went on vacation, it, it kind of felt like Carnell Tate was getting up at Tennessee and you come back and he commits to Ohio State. And and, you know, that's just the way these things go sometimes. I mean, Carnell Tate is a guy that, again, if, you know, we were talking, if we think back to a year ago, you know, if we think back to him, the three of us were up in Canton watching IMG Academy thump Bishop Sycamore. At that time, we all thought Carnell Tate was going to go to Ohio State. We thought it was going to be either Ohio State or Notre Dame. And we, we always thought at that point that Carnell Tate was going to go to Ohio State. But there were definitely points here over this past year where it felt like Tennessee had taken the lead in that race. We knew, you know, we, we don't necessarily know, but we know there's rumors out there that tennis, the NIL collective associate of Tennessee was, was throwing a big bag his way. And I'm sure, I mean, I can only imagine being in a recruit's shoes. If somebody was offering me $4 million to come play for a school, I mean, at least that's what the rumor was. I mean, I, I'd, I'd sure as heck consider it. I mean, that'd be hard to turn down, but it did always feel like Ohio State was where Carnell Tate wanted to be. And, you know, ultimately, you know, that's the decision he ended up making. You know, Brandon Innes, another guy that had twists and turns in his recruitment because, you know, I remember him, you know, being at camp last year and talking to him. And I felt like Ohio State had a pretty good chance at that time of landing him. But then he ends up committing to Oklahoma. Then, Lincoln Riley bolts for USC. He decommits that opened the door for Ohio state to, to jump in, jump right back in that race. And that's exactly what they did. They, there's, you know, very quickly, they surged to the forefront of that race to a point where even though, you know, at one time it felt like Tate's going to go to Ohio state and Ennis is going to end up at, you know, Oklahoma or USC. But by the time these commitments actually happened, Innes's Innes's commitment was more of a foregone conclusion. Like nobody was surprised by that. Like Tate's, there was almost a bit of a surprise twist at the end there. But ultimately, you know, Ohio State lands both of those those guys, and you know, I I think that just speaks to the fact that you know, I mean, for one, it helps a lot 
what happened with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jamison Williams in this year's NFL draft, where recruits C8, three guys went in the top 12. Like, I want that. Like, I, I want to be a first round pick too. I'm going to go play for the guy that helped those guys become first round picks. And Ohio State just has this reputation now. Like, they, they have this WRU reputation out there now where that's the school that receivers want to play for. I mean, you're already seeing Jeremiah Smith and just shy as a trader in the 2024 class who both played with Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis on the South Florida express seven on seven team. They're already hinting about the possibility of becoming Buckeyes. And so this reputation that Brian Hartline has built is I'm the guy who's going to make you a first round NFL draft pick is quite something. Yeah, Dan, it's interesting you bring up, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and everything like that, because, you know, before I left on my my vacation last week, you know, we had seen the stuff on on social media, on Twitter with, with Carnell Tate, you know, kind of saying like, you know, uh, you can become a first round draft pick no matter where you play. Right. And, and that kind of seemed like a, a subtle shot almost at Ohio State because of all the, the success and the, the first round draft pick status and everything like that, saying, you know, you don't have to go to a place like Ohio State to end up as a first round draft pick. But then I also found it interesting, kind of juxtaposing that. I believe Stacy Gage, you know, a Carnal Tate's IMG Academy teammate, of course, saying today, I believe he said, because I wasn't actually there to, to hear him say it, that um that he always knew Carnal Tate was going to go to Ohio State because he had he had talked about it a lot. So, you know, with those two kind of different things in mind, I would just ask Garrick, you know, how much do you think like things did change or do you think Carnal Tate kind of all along was was favoring Ohio State or, or you know, when did you think the the winds of change kind of took place here in this process. I think the way to answer that is that all throughout his recruitment, he knew that Ohio state was the best place for him from a developmental prospect aspect. I think he and Heartline have the best relationship, you know, of Cardinal Tate had the best relationship with Brian Heartline of any other coach that was recruiting him. I don't think that's disputable at this point. I do think that, you know, Tennessee's rumored collective, let's say dropping a bag for lack of a better term uh, was a very real thing. And, you know, in, in fairness to Tennessee, Josh Heupel does have a very fun offense for any wide receiver to want to play in because they throw the ball 77 times a game. That's a exaggeration, but, and, you know, Tennessee also just picked up a commitment from a five-star quarterback as well. So it's not like he was going to go there with a complete empty cupboard, but I thought that it was always kind of 50-50 with both teams kind of inching toward taking slight leads within various times. You know, first it was Ohio State with a slight lead over Tennessee, then Tennessee seemed to have all the momentum for whatever reason. And then it wasn't until last week during the three camp week at Ohio State that I really felt confident that Carnell Tate was going to commit to Ohio State. Just hearing a lot of different people's opinions, sources throughout the industry. I, you know, I, I think on a Thursday, I had an experience with ball Twitter because I threw it in our forums and said, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of crystal ball predictions are coming in from other websites. And I also feel confident that Carnell Tate's going to commit to Ohio State when he decides to make that commitment. And you know, that that's where this ruining his moment joke kind of comes from because of all fan, you know, has been stalking Ohio State forums at will and found that and threw that on the interwebs. And they're probably listening right now and they're about to go throw this clip on the, the interwebs right now. Yeah, well, it won't be uh, my first experience with ball Twitter and I would like it to be the last, but it probably won't be. So have at me. But 
No, it was it was it was a fun recruitment. It was full of twists and turns, and it certainly made for compelling storylines, which is always the thing I root for when all this is coming on. What makes the best story? And all in all, Ohio State fans got to be happy with how it ended. And it was it was really cool to see Carnell Tate there today, kind of unexpectedly, because none of us thought that he'd show up at Ohio State literally the day after he announces his commitment, and then he's you know kind of transitioning into what we saw today. We got to see the very first pass that Dylan Royola, five-star commit in 2024, threw to Carnell Tate inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So I thought that was pretty cool of, you know, maybe four to five years from now, we'll kind of do a look back at, oh, hey, remember when these guys are still recruits and they, you know, connected on their first pass in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So that was kind of cool to see today. You mentioned Dylan Rayola. Let's talk about that because we were all there at the camp on Tuesday as Dylan Rayola went through a full workout. You know, I, you know, we didn't know going into the day, like, oh, are they just going to have him do like one little short workout and that'll be it? No, he he had a full plate on on Tuesday. They they did a session in the morning where it was a lot of, you know, footwork stuff and, and just kind of more specific drill work with Corey Dennis leading Dylan and his younger brother, Dayton Rayola, who is an incoming high school freshman. They went through a workout, just those two, with Corey Dennis in the morning. And then they came back in the afternoon and they did a full session uh, led by Ryan Day, which was the two Rayola brothers, Colin Hurley, who we'll talk about in a little bit as well, a 2025 quarterback who landed an offer on Tuesday. Trevor Jackson, a 2024 quarterback who I didn't know about before Tuesday, but you know I was impressed with him as well. We can get into that later. And then also Chase Herbstreet, the son of Kirk Herbstreet, and RJ Day, the son of Ryan Day were out there. And then a little later on, Rocco Williams, a quarterback from Pickerington North, who's uh, going into his freshman year, he was out there as well. But obviously, you know, Dylan was the, the star of a show and he was the headline attraction for Ohio State's final camp of the year. And, you know, a great opportunity for us. I mean, I don't think any of us had ever seen him throw in person before Tuesday. So a great opportunity, you know, not only to see him throw in person, but also get to meet him in person and and, and talk to him in person as well. And certainly I came away impressed. I mean, certainly you, you watch him, you can understand uh, why he's a five-star guy. You can see, I mean, he's He's, he's built very well for a kid who's only a high school junior. He, he throws the ball really well, you know, you know, can throw on the move, can throw out of a pocket, you know, just seems like somebody who has a very advanced skills for a quarterback of his age. And then you, you talk to him and you can already see that natural leadership quality too. I mean, he's talking about, I want to go get Jeremiah Smith and Josiah Trader and Peyton Woodyard and KJ Bolden and Stacey Gage in the 2024 class. And we hope we're going to get Noah Rogers here soon too. And you, you can see that natural quality that he has where people are going to gravitate around him. So by all accounts, I was really impressed by what I saw from Dylan Rayola on Tuesday. How about you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned his, you know, his, his leadership uh, capabilities and stuff like that. This is a guy that's been campaigning, you know, recruiting in, in the class above him, even, you know, on, on social media for guys in the, the 2023 class and things like that. And I think the first thing that kind of stands out before you even see him throw the ball, like you said, his build is, is like, is very interesting. You know, he looks like, you know, he could almost play linebacker and, you know, and stuff like that. He's got big legs, big, big chest, looks like a guy that could, you know, take a hit and he's still got, you know, years to develop physically before even making it to Ohio State. And I think the, the the arm talent was obvious. You know, the arm strength was obvious. He had, he had a big arm, you know, maybe a couple overthrows in that mix as well. Just, you know, kind of letting it rip there in that setting. 
And I think I was particularly impressed with his ability to to throw on the move as well. And some of those drills that they had those guys doing, you know, on the target, making those passes, rolling out to his right and everything like that. I was certainly impressed for sure. What about you, Garrick? Well, I think Dylan Royola is the product of what Ryan Day would create if he could build a prep quarterback in a laboratory. Kind of like what you're saying, the arm strength, the leadership, the frame, just everything, you know, I, there's a reason why Dylan Royola visited Ohio State twice over the spring. And it's because both of them were just so intrigued with the other and they wanted to put this to bed pretty early. I I think that his arm strength is up there as good as any other quarterback I've seen throw in a long time. I think that anytime you can be the son of an uh, NFL player that played in the league for 13 years, you're already kind of a ahead of the curve, if you will, on knowing kind of what to expect at major college football and then eventually where you want to end up being in the NFL draft. And Royal is certainly that to where it's not crazy to say that he's has already has NFL aspirations with the kind of talent and the pedigree that he has in his recruitment. And honestly, probably the best thing about Royal coming to Ohio State is kind of making everything come full circle is the, te- the team that they're building around him. I mean, going in the 2023 wide receiver classes, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, Bryson Rogers, maybe Noah Rogers, and then potentially 2024, Jeremiah Smith, just like a trader, maybe Tysir Denmark comes in. He's going to have weapons galore. I mean, what more could you ask if you're in Ohio State? signal caller coming in and this is the tools in the tool shed that you have at your disposal. I mean, everything's there for him to be great, especially under the direction of Ryan Day, who's, you know, obviously had a very advanced history of developing quarterbacks that end up being first round picks. He made the comment when we were interviewing me afterwards, he said, I want to obviously get back out here and learn as much as I can before I get here. So it sounds like he'll be making plenty of more trips to Ohio State over the next two years before he officially enrolls in 2024. And that's certainly what Ohio State fans want to hear. And that's certainly what Ryan Day and Corey Dennis want to hear. So I think certainly a great impression that he made on everybody who was there to watch him and talk to him on Tuesday. With that being said, I think it's debatable whether Dylan Rayola was even the best quarterback on the field on Tuesday. And that is not a shot at Dylan Rayola in any way, but it is to say that Colin Hurley also looked like the real deal out there. I was really impressed watching him and clearly Ryan day and Corey Dennis were too, because he became the second quarterback along with Ryan Montgomery, who also camped at Ohio state last week as part of a seven on seven tournament. He was the first quarterback to receive an offer in a 25 class way back in the fall, his brother, of course, Luke Montgomery, who committed to Ohio State earlier this year. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, Ryan's kind of been, he's kind of almost been penciled in already as that 2025 quarterback because of his connection to Ohio State with Luke and being an in-state guy and looking like a guy who's going to be the best in-state quarterback in the state of Ohio sometime. And he was certainly very, very high on Ohio State's board, but Watching Colin Hurley on Tuesday, I think was a reminder of, you know, that's written in pencil. Like, let's not let's not sharpie Ryan Montgomery into that class quite yet, because there are going to be other options. There's still a lot of time in that 2025 class. 
Colin Hurley's a guy who, you know, I know you've talked to a lot, Garrick, and, and he's expressed a lot of interest in Ohio State. And just to watch him on Tuesday, I certainly came away convinced that this is one of the best quarterbacks in the class of 2025. And so I think it, that's going to be an interesting situation now to, to monitor as we move forward. You know, now that Rayola's already committed, you've got him locked in on 24. You can really start, you know, obviously they're still working on the 23 class and, you know, they're hoping, you know, between Austin Novosad and Brock Glenn that they can land one of those two guys for 23. But because you already have Rayola committed, you can also start putting more of an emphasis on recruiting that 2025 quarterback. And I think Colin Hurley with the performance he had on Tuesday, just put himself right there along Ryan Montgomery as a very real option to potentially become Ohio state's 2025 quarterback. Yeah. It's hard to find a complaint with him. Really. I really found it interesting how he even got to camp in the first place. He was kind of telling me today that he wanted to walk from his hotel to the Woody Hayes athletic center. He said he wanted to do it, to stretch out his legs and clear his mind. And then posted a lot of emojis after that and describing it. It was pretty amusing, but oh, I, I think if there's any critique I have of Colin, it's that sometimes he overshoots his target because his arm is so talented and that's absolutely the best problem you could possibly have at being a quarterback that young is you have maybe too much arm strength and just working on a little bit of touch a little bit rather than you're undershooting a guy or you're not connecting on a route. And the guy has all the arm talent and frame kind of that Ryan day wants in the world to make this work. And honestly, you know, one of our peers on the beat kind of was asking us like, Oh, well, who, who would you think it would take right now? Ryan Montgomery and Colin Hurley. And quite frankly, I don't have an answer right now. I think they're both great and you can't really go around with either one. So like you're saying, Dan, this is going to be incredibly fascinating to watch play out over the next couple of years. And maybe it eventually comes down to who wants in first. And that's the guy they take. It, it, it could be one of those situations. If their evaluation of them is neck and neck, it's kind of all right, well, who wants in first to claim your spot type of deal. And we'll see how that plays out going forward. Yeah, guys, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to Colin actually like twice since, you know, the, the, the camp session ended and it was interesting, you know, the, the first time we talked to him, which was, you know, be- right before he got his offer, he was saying that, you know, he, he doesn't usually try to, you know, hunt offers. He doesn't try to chase offers. You know, he doesn't, he didn't have top schools right now. That's what he was telling us, despite having already been offered by the likes of, you know, Georgia, Florida, LSU, you know, really high profile programs. But then, you know, after, after he got his offer, you know, he, he kind of changed his tune in my conversation with him because he was saying, okay, like Ohio state might've been an exception in terms of. I, I was going in there trying to get that offer. And, and, you know, he also said, you know, flat out that, that Ohio state would, if he, if he had a top schools list right now, Ohio state would definitely be, you know, in that list. And he said, Ohio state's really high on me and I'm really high on them as well. And he said that Ryan day, like pretty much flat out told him that he thinks he's the top quarterback in the 2025 class. And, you know, I think that speaks to, to what we're talking about here with, with those two guys that Ohio state has offered. Yeah. That's super interesting. Cause I, I think, you know, I think the interesting conversation is, I mean, to, to put it simply, Ohio State is going to go after whoever it thinks is the best guy. O- Ohio State is in a position where it can go after the best guy every year. And so if that's really what Ryan Day believes, like if he believes Colin Hurley is the best quarterback in the 2025 class, 
that's who Ohio State's going to go after first and foremost. I do think it's an interesting variable when, we, when you're talking about Ryan Montgomery in terms of, you know, I mean, he he's, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's absolutely an Ohio State caliber quarterback prospect, in my opinion. Again, he's an in-state guy. His brother is going to play for the Buckeyes. You know, you know, I, I think the I think where I, I think what would get interesting is, you know, if both those guys want in and you have them rated very comparably on your board, that might be the tiebreaker that would that would eventually maybe push you toward Montgomery. If they, if you think Hurley's the best guy, then that's who you're ultimately going to go after because you're Ohio State. You've become just like at wide receiver. You've become one of, if not the place where quarterbacks want to go right now. So you go after the best guy, no matter, no matter where that guy is from and no matter who else you've got in your backyard, you're, you're going to go after the best guy period. But, you know, I do think that when you've got a guy like Ryan Montgomery, you're going to give him that extra consideration. If you think he's an Ohio state caliber guy, just because he is there in your backyard and he's got some ties already to guys who are coming in. Yeah, I, I would, I would absolutely agree with you, Dan. I think Ty, you know, in baseball tie goes to the runner and recruiting tie goes to the local guy. So I, I think that if their evaluation of them is pretty similar, I think that uh, they'll end up going with Ryan, assuming that uh, the interest is mutual on Ryan's end, which by all accounts, it probably will be, but Long way to go, and we'll certainly probably have tons of more articles on that saga as it develops over the years, uh, because that one's a long way away from being decided. Now, I will be publishing a list on 11 Warriors later in the week, ranking the guys that I was most impressed with that I watched over the course of all seven camps. And I'll certainly be consulting with you guys as well on your input on that list as well. But just for right now, for the podcast, I'm just going to go down the line, start with you, Garrick, go to you, Griffin. Who's the one guy you saw at a, at a camp this summer that impressed you the most? I don't really know how I cannot answer Tyler Atkinson, right? <laughs> just, just for a guy going into his freshman year to come into a camp, be the best player on the field when there's five other four-star recruits there that are juniors and seniors. I, I just don't know how I can say anybody else besides Tyler Atkinson and also taking into consideration how well-spoken he is for someone that has never played a snap of high school football how much speed he has off the ball already. I didn't see him lose one one-on-one rep. I didn't even really see him tie a one-on-one rep. And I mean, the, the guy was just absolutely exceptional. And I, I mean, he's my answer. He's number one and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, guys. I mean, first and foremost, you know, I missed, you know, a whole week of camps there for, you know, for, for potential other candidates to have stood out to me. Of course I was on vacation um, but I mean, I, I guess I guess I'll go along the same lines in terms of you know age and standing out. Uh, considering that fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw out the name Chris Henry Jr., who I think a lot of people were intrigued by uh, the fact that he stood out so much as a you know a, a rising high school freshman. You know, maybe you could call him an eighth grader, but a, a guy that you know, his physical frame definitely goes beyond his years, and you can see the the resemblance obviously with his father, the late Cincinnati Bengals wideout, who obviously you know, made a splash in the NFL for sure. 
and uh, really wowing Brian Hartline as well. Again, we talked about it before on the podcast. You know, we were we were there to hear Brian Hartline kind of ooing and aahing about Chris Henry Jr. after offering him. So, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that is another guy that you know, not a guy that 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 would be coming to Ohio State within the next couple of years, of course, but a guy that certainly impressed, specifically considering his age. Yeah, and my answer is also Tyler Atkinson. I didn't know, you know, I, I've kind of kept asking myself, like, you know, was I just so impressed with him? Like first session of a first camp, like, am I, am I putting him on too high of a pedestal? But, you know, I think everything Garrick said is totally true. I mean, you just watched him in a strong group of defensive linemen, guys who are three or four years older than him or, or two or three years older than him, I should say. But, you know, you know, guys fit, you know, you'd think should be more advanced. And he looked like the best guy in the group and, and he was just dominant. So, you know, he is the guy who's going to be in the number one spot on the list just because, you know, I, I was absolutely wowed watching him at that camp. But to throw out another name, to go with a guy who is a little bit older, who, you know, could potentially be at Ohio State or somewhere else next year. I'm going to go back to Jermaine Matthews, another guy from the first camp. We talked about him before, but you know, I just thought he had a fantastic performance. He he was the only guy at all seven camps who had a full cheering section of Ohio State players yelling to the coaches off of this man. So when you when you've done that, you've done something right. And so he is going to be very high on the list because he, he just really stole the show in that afternoon session of the first camp with how dominant he was in coverage. And you know, I think really. You know, I think that was probably the biggest example. If you want to look at this camp season of, you know, a guy who probably wouldn't have gotten an offer from Ohio State to a guy who earned himself an offer and could now end up becoming a Buckeye. I think he was the number one example. You know, a lot of guys who get offers, the camp's almost a formality. Like they're going to get an offer as long as they just have a decent camp, like they're going to get an offer. Maybe that was the case for Jermaine Matthews, but I'm not sure it was. I think with him, it really was more, he had to come in and prove himself and and he did invent some. And because of that, he's now a guy who very, I mean, he's a guy who, if he wants to be a Buckeye, he will be, he's still got to decide between Ohio state and Cincinnati and a few other schools. But you know, he's a guy who really in, in the span of one afternoon, shot up Ohio State's cornerback board for the current recruiting cycle. So, you know, that that's the guy who I'm going to name there in terms of a guy who impressed me the most in, in the camp setting. And, you know, I think that segues into talking as well about guys who could potentially be on commitment watch here. We, we already talked about Noel Rogers, but Jermaine Matthews is a guy who just made an official visit this past weekend. He had planned to make a commitment around July 4th weekend. I know he said that that could change now because of the Ohio state offer, but yeah, you know, I think he's probably a guy who's near the top of your list, Garrick of guys who you are watching out for for potential commitments here coming up. Who are the other guys right now? I mean, you you were pretty bold, Garrick. You you came on here and said eight commitments before 4th of July when we had you on a few weeks ago. I don't know if you're quite feeling that good now, but who are the other guys that you look at right now and, and say, these are guys you could commit to Ohio State in the very near future? Yeah, that was a little overzealous in hindsight. <laughs> but whatever, shoot or shoot, right? I, I'd say... If you were to ask me to remake that prediction, I would probably 
say four names, which would bring the total to six. So only off by two, if that's what ends up happening. I think Jermaine Matthews is a guy that could pop at any time between now and, you know, his original commitment date of July 4th. So maybe he honors that, maybe he does it sooner, and maybe he decides he needs some more time because he also recently picked up an offer at LSU after camping there and being, by all accounts, very impressive there. And, you know, Oklahoma also offered. So he's a guy that's been a little bit of a late bloomer, but his stock has soared beyond all heights. I think that Austin Novosad is going to make a decision pretty soon here. And I've always held firm that if Texas A&M didn't come in with an offer, one of his in-state schools, that he would eventually flip to Ohio State. And barring Texas A&M swooping in at the last minute this week and offering him, I think that's still going to happen, but we'll see. And obviously Noah Rogers, I I think he will probably be a Buckeye by the end of the week. I, I think the writing's pretty much on the wall at that one. If I, you know, we don't have crystal balls, but I would put him in with a confidence meter of six or seven if we did. And the, the six one, this is just more speculation. I was just kind of going down the official visitor list like, well, I feel like there's there could be one more guy that pops in here, maybe the beginning of July. I don't think he would do it in June. I think it would be more like around the 4th of July time. And I think I'm going to go off Kay and Lee, who's making his official visit this weekend. And we'll probably take some time, maybe the next week or so, weigh his options. And again, love where the Buckeyes stand with that. Love it where they stand going into his official visit. And this is his last scheduled one. So just got to put that one across the finish line and maybe that he could be in the class sooner rather than later. Huge official visit weekend coming up this weekend. Three names in particular, Caleb Downs, Olas Allen, Tackett Curtis. That's Ohio State's top safety target in the class, top offensive tackle target in the class, and top linebacker in the class. How confident are you right now, Garrick, in Ohio State's chances of landing those three guys? I'd say ranking them in order in terms of from highest to lowest. Well, I'll back up a second here and think that I like Ohio State's chances of landing all three, but I think they're in great position with Tackett Curtis, who I'd put as the most likely of that trio to wind up at Ohio State. I think they're in really good position with Olas, who I also think is likely going to end up at Ohio State, but you know, he's also taking a lot of visits and will have a lot of things to weigh. And then I think they're in a good position with Caleb Downs, but I also think the allure of Alabama is going to be very hard to contend with at that one. And, you know, the, the speculation is his dad really likes Alabama a lot, but Caleb really likes Ohio State a lot. So we'll kind of see how that one ends up playing out. And, you know, he is from the South, so it's very hard to go in there and pull a high-profile crude away from a Southern school. So... But that being said, if I, I put it at 50-50 right now, but I would have Caleb Downs is in right now if you were to ask me in or out. So I'd have all three of those guys in. So we'll see how it goes. Well, Garrick, I think Zoom's about to kick us out here. It only lets us do 40 minutes when we have three people on a meeting. And I know that you've got a lot of work to do here. You got it. You're about to be the best man in a wedding this weekend as well. Yeah, I so, still got to write my uh, damn speech. You, 
Yeah, you get you got to do that <laughs> while also covering one of the busiest recruiting weeks of a year. So have fun with that. But you know, you, you're doing a great job balancing it. Your coverage has been awesome, and we're we're going to look forward to continue continue reading more of it. So thanks as always for joining us, Garrick. And I'm sure if 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 these commitments come to fruition as you expect, I'm sure we'll be having you back on again very soon. Can't wait. Thanks, fellas. It's also a big week ahead for Ohio State basketball, specifically for Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell, who are certainly going to become NBA draft picks on Thursday. It will be the first time since 2007 that Ohio State has had multiple players drafted, most likely also the first time since 2007 that Ohio State has had multiple players selected in the first round. 2007, of course, that was when Ohio State had Greg Oden and Mike Conley both selected in the top four, as well as Daquan Cook selected in the first round of the 21st overall pick. Malachi and EJ aren't going to go quite that high, but Malachi certainly looks like a first-round lock and possibly a lottery pick, and EJ looks like probably in that late first round range. I mean, there's, there's probably a chance that EJ could slip to the second round, but I would still be surprised. I, I think it's most likely that EJ goes somewhere in that second half of the first round and that Ohio State will have two first round picks this year. Ohio State has not had a first round pick in the NBA draft since 2015. So certainly a, a big moment for the Ohio State basketball program that's going to happen on Thursday where you know two excellent players are, are going to have their chance to have their NBA dreams come true. Yeah, and Chris Holtman was on the radio on Monday talking about his thoughts on Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell's kind of draft positioning and everything like that. He said basically what exactly what you just said. He said he definitely thinks that Malachi Branham will be a first-round pick like the question, you know, like you just posed is, is more, will he actually be a lottery pick or will he kind of slip, you know, into a pick shortly thereafter? A lot of, you know, mock drafts. The last time I did a little roundup piece a few weeks ago, a lot of, a lot of them, most of them had him going, you know, in those first 14 picks, a lot of people like him to go to the Cavs at number 14. Obviously that would make a lot of sense with him being, you know, him going to St. Vincent, St. Mary, obviously the, the LeBron you know, a comparison there you could make, of course, him going to Ohio State for one year, that would be kind of a, a fairy tale scenario of sorts. I'm looking right now, though, at the at the latest ESPN mock draft as of Tuesday evening. They actually have Malachi Branham slipping to, to 18, going to the Bulls. So, so not quite, you know, a lottery pick there. And then, you know, EJ Liddell, Chris Holman, you know, really lauded EJ Liddell talking about him on the radio as a guy that is ready to, to impact an NBA franchise right away, no matter where he goes in the draft, even if he is kind of a, a late first round pick, not a lottery guy, not a you know top 10 guy that you think is going to make an impact right away. But obviously with the experience he's garnered at the college level, obviously in the Big Ten, playing in a lot of big games for the Buckeyes, a guy that's really rounded out his skill set. Let's see where, where, where you know ESPN has EJ going right now. I think they've got him at, at 24 to the Bucks. So, you know, that's well within the first round. I haven't seen personally like a lot of mock drafts having Liddell slipping out of the first round. I know, you know, Chris Holman wasn't exactly as as he wasn't guaranteeing that Liddell is going to go in the first round in the same manner that he did at Branham, which makes me think that, you know, they've they've heard some feedback that it's possible he could slip out of that first round. I think CBS right now has has EJ going at 23 to the 76ers. 
So even higher than the ESPN one there. So yeah, I mean, both guys, I'm, I'm expecting both guys to go in the first round personally. And, you know, after a, a season for Ohio State that was disappointing on a lot of fronts for a lot of fans, especially, you know, with Ohio State not being able to break through to that, you know, post, you know, second weekend situation, that barrier they've kind of run into several times here. I think this is kind of a nice consolation prize for the program, right? The fact that they're they're producing two first round picks that could be huge for recruiting. The fact that especially with a one and done guy like Malachi Branham, you know, a, a guy that's going to serve as kind of a poster child for, hey, look, you can actually come to Ohio State and, and have success right away and go to the go to the league after one year. That's you know what a lot of top guys like to do in today's day and age. Even if I think Chris Holman, you know, he said it on the radio. He said, "I wish we had Malachi Branham for 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 three years." And I think he would he probably champion the 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 path that EJ Liddell took more more so than the the Malachi Branham path. But either way, both guys are are likely to be first round draft picks. I think, and, and that's that's certainly what I'm expecting to see on Thursday. Taking a look at the draft workout tracker that Hoops Hype has done, they have Malachi Branham with seven pre-draft workouts. He's worked out with the Hawks, the Hornets, the Cavaliers, the Rockets, the Knicks, the Trailblazers, and the Wizards. And if you look at all of those teams where they are on the draft board, the Trailblazers have the highest pick among them at seventh. Then the Wizards have the 10th pick. The Knicks have the 11th pick. The Hornets have the 13th and the 15th pick. The Cavaliers have the 14th pick. The Hawks have the 16th pick. The Rockets have the 17th pick. So you kind of look at that like 10 to 17 range. That feels like it's his sweet spot. Bet Online currently has his odds as 14 and a half is the over under. So right outside the lottery. So it feels like he, it does feel like he's right on the edge of being the lottery pick. And like you said, it, it could come down to the Cavs. I mean, the Cavs have that final pick uh, of the lottery at 14. It, it could come down to whether they pick him or not. But it feels like, you know, he's right in that, you know, middle of, 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 you know, whether he's going to be in or out of the lottery and, you know, ultimately, you know, ultimately it's, it's going to be about, you know, landing with the right, right team and finding the best fit. But, you know, it does feel like in that range, you know, I think, you know, it would be pretty cool if he went to the Cavs, you know, obviously, you know, he he's from Columbus, but he did play high school basketball up there in Northeast Ohio. And so that would be really cool. You know, I, I mean, any one of those teams, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not anywhere near as well versed on the NBA draft as I am on the NFL draft. So I, for me to sit here and tell you about, oh, this team's a best fit for him. I, 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 you know, I'd be talking out of my butt if I was going to do that, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I don't follow the NBA anywhere near as closely as I do the NFL. But, you know, I, I do. It does feel just based on everything I've read and 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 heard and just you know, just even just looking at the different, you know, workouts that it feels like the NBA thinks that's his sweet spot. You know, he's, he's probably, you know, he could be a top 10 pick. Like I wouldn't be stunned if he was a top 10 pick, but I think those early teens is probably most likely where he ends up. Yeah. And I think one, another thing that's interesting about the, the, the Cavs projection there for Malachi Branham is that one guy that he said he has, has, has compared himself to a guy that's in the NBA and plays for the Cavs is is Karis LeVert, who is also you know a, a Columbus native, a very similar kind of build uh, and, and you know a smooth shooting guard as well, similar to Malachi Branham, a, a guy at six six playing that two guard position. Obviously played for Michigan, coming out of Columbus, and now is on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster. It would be interesting to see Malachi Branham kind of you know 
going there and playing with him potentially, maybe learning a thing or two from from an, a fellow Columbus native. But another another comparison we've heard a lot. Chris Holtman was talking about it actually on the radio on Monday. Was Chris Middleton as a comparison for Malachi Branham, another guy, kind of a guy that that you know has has a, a mid range game. There's so much you know talking about the the mid range game in basketball, and you know is is the mid range jump shot is like a, a bad shot and this that and the third. But I think you you kind of see that a lot of the you know top scores in the NBA and guys that can you know kind of create their own shot, they've all got a, a great mid range jump shot. You know, I mean Michael Jordan. You know his his most effective weapon, perhaps, is the mid the mid range jumper. So a guy like Malachi Branham, you know, a, a, a comparison to Chris Middleton, a three time NBA All Star, NBA champion. I think that's a a pretty that that's a that's a lofty you know comparison there. I think it, it may take some time for Malachi Branham. I'm, I'm really not sure you know where I, where I place my my expectations on Malachi Branham because we saw him break out so quickly. But but you have to wonder you know how how big is that jump to the next level going to be i think if he if he turns into chris middleton i think that would be you know a, a sensational nba career for a guy like malachi branham you heard it here first folks griffin is comparing malachi branham to michael jordan <laughs> you've dropped lebron james and michael jordan when talking about malachi branham so <laughs> Listen, I, not, no 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 i'm just saying no <laughs> There, there are some similarities, perhaps. No, no, no. But yeah, Chris, Chris Middleton. I, I think it's a good comparison. He's a little bit bigger than Malachi Branham, of course. But yeah, I mean, Dan, what are you? What are your expectations? You know, you you watched the team this past season, of course. You know, what what would surprise you in a in a rookie season for Malachi Branham, or, or what would you expect from him, perhaps? Yeah, no, I'm just messing with you about Michael Jordan, LeBron James. I know you didn't actually compare him to them, but yeah, you know, I think I think that you know Chris Middleton comparison. Like, I think that's like a good like lofty like high-end comparison like i think that's like if you think about what he could become and the reason why he could be a lottery pick it's because nba teams think he could become that kind of player you know i think you know i listened to that chris holtman interview on monday as well and i you know i think just from listening to holtman you know you he even kind of you know warned a little bit of you know he you know Malachi may not be somebody who's immediately ready to go in and make an impact in the NBA right away. You know, he might, he might need a little bit of time to get there because I mean, he's still what 19 years old. I mean, he, he played one season of college basketball. I mean, you know, and and he was not a Paolo Bencaro or a, you know, Jabari Smith type player, Chet Holmgren. He was not that kind of player where everybody thought coming in, he's a for sure one and done, you know, he, he's a guy who became that, because he had such a great year. And so, and, and really a great last three months because before January, nobody would have been talking about Malachi Branham as a one and done. It was really, you know, that second half of a season, big 10 play where he really turned it on and became that kind of prospect. And so, you know, I think an NBA team that drafts him is going to have to have some patience there. I, I think, you know, he's not a guy that you're, you're going to expect to plug into your lineup right away and to immediately become a double digit scorer. I think it's probably going to take him some time to build up to that. But, you know, I think the NBA skill set is is there. And I think, you know, I, you know, it, it I always struggle a little bit more with the NBA draft than I do the NFL draft, because obviously I've followed the NFL draft a lot. And I think the NBA drafts a little bit different because I think the NFL draft tends to be based more on like what you've actually proven you can do. And I think the NBA draft tends to be more on what you have the potential to do. And so, you know, like 
if I'm going to say, who do I think is the better basketball player right now? I would say EJ Liddell, but I think over time, Malachi Branham has the potential to end up being the better player. And that's not a slight at EJ Liddell because yeah, I think EJ Liddell is a guy who can go into the NBA and I think he's going to have a really solid career. I mean, I think you look at what Jay Sean Tate has done for the Rockets and I think EJ is a similar player with more natural ability. And so I think, you know, EJ is a guy who I, I think is going to have a productive and lengthy NBA career. But I think, you know, if you're talking about that high end potential for what they could become, you know, I think EJ most likely at the next level is going to be a role player. I think he could be a very good role player, but I don't think he's ever going to be that primary scorer for an NBA team like he was at Ohio State. I think Malachi has the potential to to blossom into that. That's not necessarily predicting that he will, but I think the potential is there for him to become a high-end scorer in, in the NBA. I think it's going to take him time to get there, as it does for most players in the NBA. But I, I think the skill set is there. I think you could certainly see that when he was at his best. You know, he he has a very impressive skill set as a, as a scorer. Whereas, you know, I think, you know, EJ is a guy who he's still going to be able to score in the NBA, but you know, his, you know, the things he did well in college, not necessarily all of those things are going to translate to the NBA. Whereas I think Malachi has a game that's going to translate very well to the next level. Yeah, I concur. And, and even in today's NBA where guys, you just mentioned like a Jay Sean Tate, a Draymond Green, I would put in the same mold of guys where, you know, coming out of college when they did, you think like, you know, where do they quite positionally fit? They're a little bit of a tweener, a tweener, right? And then it's the same thing with, with Grant Williams, who is, is often compared to, to EJ Liddell coming out of this, you know, draft class here. It's like, you know, I, I watched Grant Williams play. I actually covered an NCAA tournament game that Grant Williams played for Tennessee. And, you know, he's like a broad shouldered, like interior presence. Maybe he can play some, some high post, you know, score, you know, that way a strong inside. And you kind of think like, where does that guy kind of fit in today's NBA? And you look at him now and, and you know, you turn on a, a Boston Celtics game in, in the playoffs, this in their, their past run to the, the NBA finals this, this summer. And he's hitting like, you know, how many threes did he hit that one game? Like 10 threes or something like that. And so you kind of wonder like, can EJ Liddell turn into that? Because we saw EJ Liddell knock down a lot of threes this season you know, in college, but, you know, you, you move back for that, that NBA three, the spacing of the floor is different. Can he be a guy that, that rounds out some of those skills to be able to, to play a, a conventional three at times in the NBA, a conventional wing in the NBA standing on the, you know, at the three point line, but still kind of do those, the, the things that, that he did at Ohio state, which is a lot of, a lot of, you know, athletic fadeaway jumpers and a lot of, you know, inside post moves as well. So I, I still, th- I still have those questions when I think about EJ Liddell's potential in the NBA, where exactly does he fit in positionally? And will it take him some time to, to develop his role in a, in a similar sense to a, to a Jay Sean Tate or, you know, a Draymond Green, a Grant Williams to, to be able to, you know, do everything that he does well, but still maybe tweak a little bit of his playing style to form to the, you know, the modern NBA. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the thing with EJ. Like, I think, you know, he, he gets a guy who could be labeled as a quote unquote tweener where he's a little bit undersized for a four in the NBA. And he's 
maybe not quite athletic enough to be a true free in the NBA. And so I think that's kind of a, the, the question there, you know, but like I said, I mean, I, I think, you know, all those guys you just mentioned are good examples of guys who kind of fit that same mold physically yet have become really productive players in the league. And I think EJ has the skill set to follow in those guys' footsteps. And, you know, Chris Holtman mentioned it on Monday, and it's so true. I mean, he he is a prime example of if you want to sell a guy on this is why you should come back for another year, he's a prime example of that. Because I think if we had had this conversation a year ago, we would have been talking about maybe a second round pick. I mean, I remember seeing NBA draft projections a year ago that didn't even have him in getting drafted, which at the time surprised me. Cause I'm like, I think EJ Liddell is a guy who should be an NBA draft pick, but you know, nobody was talking about him as a first round pick a year ago. And so I think that speaks to how much more well-rounded his game became this past year, him showing that versatility to be able to go out and guard guys on the wing, to be able to hit those, those free point shots. I think those were huge things from him, things that NBA scouts told him a year ago when he went through the process, these are the things we need to see from you. And then he went back to school and he did them. So, you know, huge credit to EJ for, for, for being able to do that and put himself in this position to where, you know, like you, like you mentioned, I think it's interesting because, you know, Holt, like you said, I, I did think it was interesting that Holtman and his comments seemed a little reticent to say like, oh yeah, he's going to be a first round pick because basically every mock draft I've seen has him in the first round. And so I would be surprised if he fell out of first round. I mean, at the same time, I mean, I do think to the last guy who got drafted from Ohio State, Kata Bates-Diop, he ended up falling a little bit farther in the draft than I expected. I remember thinking he was, you know, maybe a late first and he ended up being, I think, a mid to late second. And so you never know what's going to happen, you know, especially once you get out of a lottery. Sometimes it gets a little bit harder to predict how things are going to go. And sometimes it is a guy like an EJ Liddell who doesn't have those that spectacular physical upside. Sometimes that is the guy who falls a little bit farther down the board than you expect because teams want to, especially those teams picking late in the first round that are, you know, higher contending teams. And maybe they don't need a guy to come in right away. A lot of times those teams like to bet on the higher upside of a guy than, than maybe a guy who's a more proven commodity who they don't think has as high of a ceiling. And so that's something that could potentially work against EJ, but you know, looking at his pre-draft workouts, he's reportedly worked out with six teams. Those teams are the Hawks, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Timberwolves. And if you look at where, you know, some of those teams are picking, you know, as we mentioned, Cavs at the end of the lottery, Hawks picking 16th, whatever teams that I have here. Let's see. The Bulls are picking 18th. The Timberwolves are picking 19th. The Nuggets are picking 21st and then the warriors are picking 28th. So you, again, you've got a lot of teams kind of right in that middle of the first round clump. It'd be a little surprising if the Cavs took him, I think. And, and he was a lottery pick. I think again, that, you know, second half of the first round is more likely, but again, I think you got, you know, if you kind of look at that 16 to 21 range there, you've got quite a few logical landing spots there between, you know, the Hawks, the, the Rockets, the Bulls, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets, you know, those are all teams that he's gone through workouts with, or, you know, maybe he slips a little farther and maybe he goes to a team like the Warriors and maybe that's a great spot for him because he can go in and can, can contend for, for championships right away. I'm sure there's some people who hear that and have some jokes that come to mind since he's been playing for Ohio State, but I'll, I'll leave those for you guys to make. 
But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that he's going to hear his name called in the first round on, on Thursday night. If, if not, then I'll, I'll own up to being wrong on that. But I, I will stake my claim on that, that I think he should be a first round pick. And I predict that he will be a first round pick on Thursday night. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's a big thing that, that Chris Holman talked about, too, is that, like, you know, everyone wants to get picked earlier in the draft. Right. But, you know, it's a silver lining for those guys, perhaps if they if they end up you know, sliding a little bit still, still in the first round, perhaps, but, you know, falling to, to, to stable organizations, you know, t- teams with coaching staffs that have are, are proven developers and, 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 you know, everything like that, because that way, you know, perhaps they're in a better situation than they would be otherwise. And I think they, they might be naturally kind of in a position for that to be the case anyway. Well, Griffin, I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks. So you, I, I don't know. Are, are you going to record an episode while I'm gone? I think maybe, maybe you will. I'll, I'll leave that well, up to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will certainly try to. I may need some some more, uh, another uh, set of reminders on the on the technical aspects of all of that. But we, we may figure that out in the next few days here. Yeah. So we'll if, if if Griffin's able to make it happen, hopefully he he will make it happen for for those of you who are our loyal listeners, but you know, I, I will be taking a break for the next couple of weeks. So the next time you will hear my voice on this podcast will be 3 weeks from now, but you know, looking forward to, you know, getting caught up then on I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there'll be more recruiting news and you know, you know, NBA NBA draft, I'll be around for that, but you know, won't be having another podcast to talk about that, so I'm sure if you guys do do a podcast about me, you guys will be talking about that and you know, I'll be looking forward to, you know, getting back on the podcast in July when we really start, you know, ramping up toward the start of the season. You know, I think when I when I get back from vacation, we're going to really start to see that season coming into view. Big 10 media days in in late July and camp starts in August. So, you know, we're getting closer. We're we're kind of in that midst of the off season right now, but we're getting closer to the start of football season in just over a couple months from now. So, you know, hope everybody out there is enjoying their summers. Hope you all enjoyed listening to the show and we hope you'll keep listening. I'll talk to you guys again in a few weeks. Thanks as always to Eric for joining us on the show, Griffin for being my always loyal co-host on the show. And we'll talk to you again soon.